feel very snappy. Okay, it's final sip of coffee. Alright, ready? Okay, here we go. Welcome to Grounded and Soaring, our new podcast that explores how we might raise healthy kids in a too often unhealthy world. My name is Terry DeBow, and I am the Director of Communications and Story at Marin Montessori School. And I am joined today by Siri Pandey, who is uh, the Director of Education for Toddlers and Primary here at MMS, and also a very, very good human being. Hello, Siri. Hi, Terry. Thank you so much for the invite. Oh, it's going to be great. So today we're going to dive into a topic that a lot of parents wrestle with because it's really hard, and that is communication, or perhaps more accurately, healthy communication, uh, which is critical for any human being at any age. So I'll just give a little context here. Uh, This is not to explain this to Siri because she knows it very well, but children need to communicate, um, but without guidance and a healthy environment, they can struggle to learn how to name and share their own feelings and experiences, as well as how to truly hear the feelings and experiences of others. And this can lead to all kinds of trouble if it doesn't go well. So the question is, how do we as parents help our kids build strong communication skills, um, which is a challenge, but never more so than today in today's uh, digital world. Um, so Siri, you have spent your career uh, working with children from infancy to kindergarten. So uh, it seems like you're a good source to uh, help us figure this out. Um, so let's start at 30,000 feet. Just tell us a bit about the role communication plays at various developmental stages. Sure, Terry. I really enjoy this topic because I think there's nothing more uniquely human than our capacity to communicate with each other. It's exceptionally nuanced, and of course, there are endless numbers of languages all over the world. So this is a topic I love. Um, Children adapt to their environment. They take in the languages present. And if you observe in our toddler spaces, you'll hear a combination of calm, clear, specific, and the naming of vocabulary, as well as the opportunity for silence. So that naming is really essential for... Absolutely. Clear and specific language. Mm -hmm. I was recently in one of our toddler spaces, and they had a collection of cards, classified cards, and they were all about dogs. And there were specific names of dogs. So rather than saying to a two-year-old, doggy, 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 when we're on a walk here, there are lots of dogs in Marin, you can name specifically, I see the Akita. <laughs> Look at the colors. What colors do you see in this, this golden retriever? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a dachshund. People also call it a wiener dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so giving specific language is really helpful for children because they can quickly classify and identify things that they have the language for. Right. That's what's powerful about language. So we know that the sensitive period for language is active in utero through age six. So specific, clear language examples what we want mm-hmm. to offer. And we know that children, no matter where they arrive in this world, are going to absorb completely, even with a re- regional dialect, the style, the intonation, the hand gestures mm-hmm. of the language and the communication style that they're they are surrounded with. Second languages are also absorbed at this time if they're present, right? So providing a native speaker who stays in that one language, one person, one language is ideal, especially mm-hmm. for the young child to absorb completely. They can't sort and mm-hmm. they can't say, oh, now she's speaking English. Oh, now she's speaking Spanish. Mm-hmm. So one child, one, one, one adult, um, one language is a really great model to, to follow, but certainly no mixing in the sentence. Sometimes families can... Um, have multiple languages going on and almost create a f- family language, right. <laughs> you know, where a combination, a combination in a sentence that's very confusing, right? Because if you go back to this um, absorbent mind, it's taking in everything completely, totally from the environment and not sorting it 
Mm-hmm. So it's really important that we give a really clear impression as, as much as possible. So um, another thing to think about is that children don't know any sayings. They're very literal. The, mm-hmm. the child age two is going to be very literal and is not going to understand any of our sayings. For example, um, one of my colleagues talks about how she had a, a young child coming to the class and they were going to show him the ropes. And then the, right. the two-year-old said, where are the ropes? <laughs> you know, so. so no idioms for our two-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, they don't get it yet. Right. I mean, idioms well, are are great and they're important to know, but they are the most advanced kind of nuanced bit of language. So for the primary age child, we're going to continue to add this language via meaningful reality-based experiences. We're focusing on building the base of general knowledge that's needed for reading comprehension. Something that's really fascinating to think about is we're teaching children how to decode, right? Phonetic awareness, decoding words, but in order to make meaning out of what you are reading, you have to have a real base of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we want to make um, the opportunity for children to really have a wide base of generalist knowledge, as well as they can get very excited about their passions and they can get into learning all of the birds or learning all of the plants that they see around them. So um, since the process of reading requires a vast prior knowledge to engage with and make meaning from this decoding, we read to them lots of reality-based books about all types of things, and we find what sticks, what they get excited about. So, if I can interrupt for a second, the sure. reality-based part is, is distinctly Montessorian, yes. right? Yes. So, making you, that we tackle that a little bit? Well, there's lots, of, there's lots to it. I mean, because the child has just arrived here to this world, they're trying to understand how does this world work and how am I to be a human here, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we want to give them as much of an infusion of information that is true and so that they can trust and start to make meaning of the world. Mm-hmm. Everything is brand new, and the clearer the reality-based impression is, then they can build a stronger foundation for understanding how the world works, how right. humans interact. And then from there, as they have that base, that foundation, then they can abstract and right. think more creatively. But you have to be grounded before you can kind of think beyond. Yeah, so in many ways, this whole conversation is like, how are we building these foundational mm-hmm. blocks on which we will build other things, including imaginative language, and you know, down the road, complicated communication between human beings. So, right. So I interrupted you. Where, where else were we going to talk no, about? No, that's okay. Uh, I think another thing that's important to think about with primary age children specifically, because they're able to talk, they're able to tell stories, they're able to start to name their emotions. I think um, being aware of naming the feeling that they're having and then giving them tools for how to experience that feeling and move through it and kind of cope with it. And then modeling that, too. Right. As an adult, I, I think a lot about not being sarcastic with children. All of our AMI-trained primary and toddler guides are very aware that the way that they communicate with children in respectful, clear, thoughtful, and responsive language is very important and very impactful. Removing sarcasm, removing labeling, these are all very thoughtfully considered things. So I would offer to, to, to parents listening, think about sarcasm Think about how you speak with adults and think about how a child will experience that. That That's not a place for the child under six. Well, because mm-hmm. because going back to reality-based, mm-hmm. sarcasm, like idioms, requires a whole level of interpretation, mm-hmm. right? And it's essentially functioning metaphorically. It's You're comparing one expression to another, and if you don't have the background or the foundation, it's almost impossible to understand it accurately. Mm-hmm. Um, it might also teach some bad lessons, right? It does. It does. It doesn't really bring out the best in our human experience with each other. You know, we want to... 
uh, be very trusting adults, whether it's an adult at home, an adult in an environment, uh, like we call our classrooms environments. We want to be someone that children can trust. So another phrase that really rings true for me with how I interact with children in, in toddler or primary environments, and this is the same as my guides do, is the same thing with my at home as well as my word is gold. Mm-hmm. I really try to show up. You know, if I tell a friend that I'm going to be somewhere at 730 on a Friday night and I'm not feeling it, I'm tired, but I've told them I'm going to be there, I rally. And mm-hmm. I try to teach my children the same thing. It's important that when you say you're going to do something that you follow through. It's integrity building when you speak respectfully, thoughtfully, truthfully, when you avoid um, sarcasm. You, you are standing in your integrity and modeling that for a child, and I think that's a great example. Yeah, so, I mean, going back to the sort of larger <laughs> question here is how to communicate effectively and how do you build that communication. Mm-hmm. Is your theory in what we do in Montessori schools that we are teaching respect, communication and respect and how you are in the world are interconnected? They're not separate endeavors. Right, right. I think children really learn what they live is another saying that I, that really resonates mm-hmm. for me. They They believe what you do. And you are an ultimately a role model for them. They're absorbing and, and watching you. And more than what you say to them, it's, it's how you carry yourself, how you respond in the world. They're absorbing all of those habits right. of being a human. That's what it means to be a human. Right. And those are all pieces of communication. So all schools are going to be obviously very important in building communication skills. Tell us a little bit about what makes the Montessori method particularly special for this, this aspect of the human experience. I think what is really sets apart what we offer here is that children are given very rich examples of how to interact and how to communicate and then they are asked to do so themselves Mm -hmm. because of the mixed age groupings whether it be toddler environments or our primary environments children are in a mixed age group where the children all in that same space share a similar mindset but they all have different communication skills Mm -hmm. so they're able to practice in a very prepared space using communication you know they're able to use productive thoughtful communication skills with each other you know uh, if a child wants to do something that the guide might prompt them by naming what the item is and the child might take it to their space and then in time they'll be able to name the object and in time they'll be able to say i'd like to do that you know it takes a process of first you know learning the specific vocabulary for the activities in the environment and then they are encouraged to use their language it's very different than the typical model of education where a, a, a teacher, certainly this is what I experienced, a teacher is asking children to listen, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're rewarded for being seated and for being quiet. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, some kids can adapt to that and some can't. And I think in a Montessori environment, we value movement, we value interaction, we value that one-on-one positive communication contact point, and we skill children up to communicate with each other that's the value of that mixed age environment they yeah can practice i mean, it. i think about my education my kids education you, you, the, there's a role of compliance mm-hmm. in in a traditional model that i certainly experienced of like doing yeah. as you're told right. which can be interpreted in one way as being respectful the adult mm-hmm. says do this and so you respect the adult this method is a different kind of respect where mm-hmm. it's not about compliance. It's, it's talk a little bit more about like how this is a respectful way or a way of, of, uh, of instilling higher values like respect. We're very intentional about role modeling mutual respect. So we have an aspect of our curriculum, in fact, that's called Grace and Courtesy Lessons, where we practice gracious ways of being. 
we practice little small group lessons that give children opportunities to learn how to be in this community learning space. For example, if we have a visitor coming, we've already practiced how to greet a visitor and maybe to offer them some tea. I've seen this. I've been a part of this. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's pretty disarming when you see a young child who brings tea. It's really sweet. <laughs> but they feel great about doing that as well because it's something that typically is reserved for only adults, right? Mm -hmm. They've yep. seen maybe someone comes to their home and they've seen a, a parent bring tea to another adult. And so giving them a lesson on how to receive a visitor and giving them a practical life skill on how to take care of a visitor really makes them feel great. And so they're having an opportunity to be gracious and welcoming. And by practicing that, they they get that. It becomes a part of who they are. They're, they're that virtue of mutual respect, I would say. So it seems like as a piece of communication, it's a really powerful moment because they are seen as an active, valid member of a, of a connection. And uh, they are learning how to treat others in that way. So it does sort of break down barriers between adults and children that will be very beneficial long term, it would seem to me. Absolutely. And I think it's just a different way of interacting. It's a mutuality of respect. And it's in all aspects of the child's experience, again, each child has an individualized learning plan that they are you know, accessing and connecting to this really rich and, and, and thorough curriculum, but it's at their own pace. It's with their interest and their skills and ability, and it's connecting them to something that they're excited about doing. So for example, getting that lesson on how to serve tea they, they follow the steps and then they're able to apply it mm -hmm. in the in their real life experience. So first they practice the whether it be a gracious conversation, they'll practice it and then they'll apply it. Yeah. And I think it, it has, sort of has a laboratory aspect to it. Yeah, and it might seem small, but it's actually quite profound. It is for it is for children to have that opportunity, the clarity of the role model of the adults in the environment being very respectful and gracious with the children. It, it is a virtuous cycle because they have that opportunity to practice. They can make mistakes too. <laughs> and they can also learn how to make amends because we have such a thorough um, curriculum around social emotional intelligence, even identifying your feelings. That hurt my feelings. And being able to express that and being able to problem solve in a really thoughtful and kind way adds to that respectful way of being. All of this is obviously very important at any time, but there's something particular about this moment, right, mm -hmm. in our digital uh, world where we are, you know, as adults sort of inundated by communication, sometimes a positive, sometimes negative. What's your sense of this moment and how this approach is particularly useful for kids growing up today? Thank you. I think that this is definitely a time of the attention economy. There's so many screens and there, there's so much content coming at us as adults. That's something that I certainly experience. Um, what concerns me as a human is that what grabs our attention in this distracted digital age is also often the most provocative and yeah. kind of intense information. So what I think a lot about is how children are being exposed to intense images, intense information, you know, either passively, like a TV's on in the background and there's a lot of news going, you know, mm -hmm. they're absorbing that. They're taking it in, even if they seem to be coloring, you know. Um, so I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. They're not prepared to understand and to sort through that. Um, and even I find it um, disturbing myself. Sure. You know? I was recently reading an article about how even just viewing intense, violent, or um, sad information, it, 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 accumu it accumulates in our in our 
in our beings. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell a very quick story that maybe we'll leave in the podcast or not. <laughs> I remember our daughter, really young, I don't know, three, that, that language moment. She had an imaginary friend, and she was, we were in the kitchen, and she was talking to her imaginary friend, and she talked about that she was going to go talk to Tom. And my wife said, who's Tom? We didn't have a Tom in our life. She's like, Tom Brokaw. Well, who's Tom Brokaw? Like, he's in a, and she said, he's in Iraq. Mm-hmm. It was during the, the war. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, so that is passive consumption. She knows about yeah. a war. She knows. And uh, that was not the intention. It was just to have the TV on in the background while I was cooking. Right. So, um, yeah, so your point, well taken. I think that, that that passive consumption is something to be very mindful of, that children, because of their absorbent mind, they're taking in everything. They're, yeah. they're absorbing the attitudes. They're absorbing all of that. And they don't know how to sort through that information. Right. And it can be really disturbing. And I think also... We, we we as parents have to monitor what they're exposed to either passively or mm-hmm. directly and as a as a parent i i aim to be a firewall for what is what i consider personally too much you mm-hmm. know and in, in within my value system also i think a lot about distracted parenting mm-hmm. i think that it's a challenging time to be a parent you know um we have these very powerful computers in our pockets that are calling our name we we want to stay connected with family and friends who are far away but when there are people right in front of you, are you being mindful? Right. So I think that there's a bit of mindfulness around um, modeling and role modeling that the, that the human who is present with you is the one that is going to get your attention. So something that I am thoughtful of is to place my cell phone and kind of park it at the entrance of my home. And mm-hmm. I've created a charging station, so it's a little tempting. Like, I'm going to put it here and charge it right. and keep it out of the way. And kind of docking it almost. Uh, like a home phone, and I know I can hear it if it's something necessary. But I think it also signals when it's not in my hand and when my children are near me, it also signals that that they're a priority. Yes. And I know that I want to text back my friend, you know, but I also know that it can wait. Yeah, it can. So um, with a little bit of boundary there, I find that it's helpful to signal that the people in the room are the ones who are my priority. And... um, the, the value of an open-ended conversation and eye contact, mm-hmm. the value of, um, I would say, simultaneous uh, activity in, in company with each other is mm-hmm. something I really enjoy. You were talking about how so much of the content in this age is often extreme or mm-hmm. in order to get attention, it has to have some intensity. What's your sense of the implications of that on how children learn to communicate with each other? That's a good question. Um, I think that children you know, under the age six, just copy what they hear, right? So if they're, if they're hearing extreme communication examples, even in a children's book or even in a children's show, sometimes the language can be really intense to grab the audience. Yes. I think they're going to repeat that back. They're going to copy it. Um, so I think that some of the language can be mean, some of the language can be sarcastic, it can be sassy, and there's no reason to offer that to children. Mm-hmm. And I think we can... We can monitor for that yeah. and avoid it. One other thing that I think is important to, to consider is, are you modeling, as a parent, are you modeling reading books? Yeah. As a parent, are you modeling writing a letter? Do you keep lists and so on? Because the, the population I work with, the sixth and under, they are interested in doing what they see right. adults doing. So I recommend you know having a list that where you write down the groceries that you might need. Um, and over time, in, having children learning that 
writing is a form of communication right. and understanding and seeing examples of folks reading is also important so that they understand that that's a form of communication right. in right. our culture. Right. So rather than only scrolling the times, for example, on my phone, I make a point to read a real book and yeah. to have a habit of um, checking out books every two weeks from the library. Or, right. or, and, and I'm also noticing what books they're choosing because not every book at the library is a great book. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the content that is created for children isn't always reality-based, right. isn't always giving information. So I think about that. And screen time is a fact of life for children these days. But when I think about how much screen time, there are screens everywhere. Um, and when one thing that I really recommend folks think about is not only the content and is it quality, but how do you keep a limit on it? Because it just calls to the human, yeah. whether they be young or older. Um, screens catch our attention, and we need to be mindful about that. But when they're, when they're seated passively, either on an iPad or when they're seated watching a show, they're not doing other things. What are they missing out on? Right. You know, um, And so oftentimes that is person-to-person -person communication. Oftentimes that is practicing you know, understanding and reading facial expressions. So that right. is something for us really to consider what, yeah. what, what they're not having the opportunity to practice at that time. Okay, so as we wrap up here, let's talk a little bit, a couple of tips for parents at home. How do they encourage healthy communication? How do they um, sort of continue the work that you think is best for kids this age? Thank you. I, I think realizing that you are the most important role model to your child and the way that you communicate, they're going to copy and mimic completely from the the attitudes that you express to the way that you structure your language. So using really specific and clear and kind language is important. Um, responding rather than reacting is always ideal. And if you make a mistake, showing them how you own that mistake back to your word is gold, I think it's also important to accept if you make a mistake and how you can make amends for that. Mm -hmm. um, and using clear, honest, specific language, no sarcasm, um, I also would recommend that you don't talk about your child over their head mm. um, when they're present. Uh, if, if you have a partner, to, to save that for when your child is not present. Because as we talked about passively, they're absorbing your impression of them. Right. And so they're, they're always listening. Even when you're on the phone and you're talking to a grandparent and sharing their stories, just think about how you're explaining their character because they're absorbing that impression that you have of them. And, uh, yeah, have fun, make mistakes, just make new mistakes every day. Right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Thank you, Siri, uh, for joining us. I will just say, I'm done with this. My kids are 1923, so it's basically, oh, I should have done that. That would have been better because <laughs> now I'm reaping the other side of this thing. But that's all right. They're doing just fine. Um, all right. So thank you for joining. Uh, and uh, anyone listening out there, please go to groundedandsoaring.org uh, to follow along. You can follow our social media channels. And uh, on the website, there's actually a place where you can, on the Contact Us page, where you can uh, suggest topics for our further conversation. So anyway, thank you, Siri. Well done. My pleasure.